Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist podcast. Today we're going to continue the Talmud we discussed last week. Last week we talked about the beautiful and romantic proposal that the I do, so to speak, that the Jewish people said when God said, do you want the Torah? God asked, do you want the Torah? And the Jewish people said, I do. How did they say I do? We're going to do and we're going to listen later. Whatever it entails, whatever this relationship entails, I'm in. Yes, we're the most hated nation on earth. There's no nation on earth that's been persecuted like the Jewish people have. And yet, look at us, sitting here, learning Torah, uh, growing, hopefully, every day from the Torah that we study. So it's a huge blessing. Now the Talmud's going to continue another Agadic teaching about Israel's acceptance of the Torah. And this is on 88b, Peiches Amad Beis, on the top of the page. Amr Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, what is the meaning of that which is written, and this is referring to uh, the, the, the Jewish people at Mount Sinai, you have captured my heart, my sister, O bride, you have captured my heart with one of your eyes. At first, when you accepted the Torah, you attracted me with one of your eyes, the Talmud says. But when you perform the Torah, the mitzvahs of the Torah, when you learn the Torah, you attract me with both of your eyes. The commentaries here explain the verse speaks of Israel's connection with God, which was formed at Sinai. However, at Sinai, there was only acceptance of the Torah and not observance of the Torah. While still at Sinai, the Jews sinned in the golden calf. Therefore, the verse specifies one of your eyes. The eye represents the process of seeing, which can occur either in one's mind or in reality. When the Jewish people accepted the Torah, they saw it only in their mind with one eye. But it was not yet with both eyes since they haven't carried out the Torah. When they carried out the Torah, when they learned the Torah, when they observed the mitzvahs of the Torah, then they saw it with both eyes, meaning physically. They saw it with their physical eyes and they saw it with their spiritual eyes as well. And we discussed this concept, this idea of one having two sets of eyes. We spoke about this at the end of class last week. And just this whole idea that, you know, when we recite the Shema, we cover our eyes. When we say the Shema, why? Because we're trying to cover our physical eyes that are the, the, the source of our distractions, the source of our desires, the source of our jealousy, the source of our hatred is all the things we see. We cover that up. Put that away. Now, Use your other set of eyes. Use your mind. Use your spiritual eyes and connect to Hashem in a real way. Oh, now that you've been able to connect to Hashem in a real way, now you can open up your physical eyes and bring it in and purify it. And that's what we have through the process of Shema. That's why we cover our eyes. So that we allow our spiritual eyes to do their job. The Talmud now continues. While still at Sinai, only a few weeks after accepting the Torah, the Jewish people sinned, sin of the golden calf. The Gemara describes this sudden downfall. 
Amar Ula. Ula said, How shameless is the bride who is unfaithful while still in her bridal chamber. Ula said, he uses, Ula uses this allegory to describe the shameful behavior of the Jewish people while still encamped at Sinai, the bridal chamber where God has taken them to be his holy nation. The Jewish people were unfaithful to Hashem by worshiping the golden calf. We find elsewhere that the revelation is likened to a marriage between God and Israel. Furthermore, they were still involved at the time in receiving the Torah, for Moses had not yet brought the tablets down. Right, so all of this is it was the receiving of the Torah. We we imagine the way we we've been told is that the receiving of the Torah were the Jewish people at Mount Sinai and they got the Torah right there. It's not true. It was a long process. It was a 40-year process. They only got the revelation, the relationship, the revelation and the relationship at Mount Sinai. But they got the Torah, they got the tablets, which was the, had the Ten Commandments on it. That they got 40 days later, that was broken, then... Another 40 days later, Moshe goes up. Another 40 days later, Moshe. So it's a, an actual 120 days later that they actually receive the tablets. But what's about all the mitzvahs? What's about all of the commandments? That Moshe was teaching them along their journey in the desert for 40 years till Moshe died. The Torah that we have, known as the five books of Moses, were actually given the last day of Moshe's life. That's when it was all sealed into a complete Torah as we have it today. Thirteen copies were written on the last day of Moshe's life, one for each tribe and one to be placed in the ark in the tabernacle, which later was the temple and also the shards of the broken tablets were placed there as well. And... That's the Torah. So it wasn't like, you know, they were in the middle of a wedding here. It wasn't like, you know, they were, oh, they got the Torah and now they sinned. No, 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 no. You're in the middle of the wedding here. You're still in the middle of the process. It was a whole long journey of receiving the Torah. The Gemara now continues. The Gemara supports Ula's description of Israel's behavior that it was like a, an unfaithful bride in her bridal chamber. Amar of Mari the Bas Shmuel, Rav Mari, the son of Shmuel's daughter, said, Micro, what is the verse that reflects Ula's sentiment? What does he base it on? You can't just give us a, uh, you know, we know this. This is one of the foundations of everything we study in Talmud. You must source what you're saying. It's not enough for you to have a nice opinion. You must source what it is that you're saying. Ad Shahamelech bim Sibonir di. We see this verse. In the Song of Songs, King Solomon writes, While the king was still at his banquet, my perfume gave out its fragrance. Rav remarks, Amarav, and that's referring to, by the way, it says over there, Rav Murray interprets Nasan gave out, it gave out a scent, in the sense of abandoned. Thus, Israel confessed that while the supreme king still sat at his wedding banquet, so to speak, her perfume abandoned its goodly fragrance to others. She was unfaithful to him. That's the Jewish people 
at Mount Sinai sinning with the golden calf. Now the Gemara continues. Amar Rav. Rav says, Though the verse describes the nation's disgrace, it is still with a show of endearment towards us that it does so. Why? What does it say? It says that it gave a fragrance. It doesn't say that it stunk or is a putrefied uh, uh, scent. Okay, there was it gave out instead of being written that it was putrefied. The verse should have said that Israel's scent became putrid, but said instead that it its goodly scent disappeared. This choice of expression is a mark of God's continued love for the Jewish nation despite its faithlessness towards Hashem. So Hashem in his unbelievable mercy continues to shower us with love, with compassion, with forgiveness and uh, an atonement. Notwithstanding, we're, we're, we're unfaithful to Hashem right there at Mount Sinai and still Hashem uses an expression of love towards us. The Gemara records another context in which the root Olav is used. Olav means, I think we used this previously. See, he says, the rabbis taught in the Brisa, Tana Rabbonon, Aluvin ve'enam olvin. Those who suffer insult but do not insult in response. Shomim cherposan ve'enam eshivin. Those who hear their disgrace but do not reply. Osin me'av osmechin bi'isurim. Those who perform God's will out of love and are happy even in suffering, Aleim Akasuv Omer, on them the verse says, the Ohavov But they who love him, who love God, shall be as the sun going forth in its might. Commentaries here say that is they perform God's commandments out of love for him not in order to receive a reward or to avoid punishment. It's a different way you can do an action. You can do it because you're afraid your mama's going to yell at you. You can do it because you're afraid you're going to be punished, right? Or you can do it because you're going to get rewarded. Or the best way to do it is you do it out of love. Right? What's the best way to serve God? Not because I'm going to get a I'm going to get a prize. God's going to give me success. God's going to give me something good. No, 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 no. That's not why we do it. We do it because we love Hashem. That's the highest level. The suffering caused by the insults and disgrace to which they are subjected. So it's very painful when you're standing in a room and someone on the other end of the room is saying something derogatory against you and you hear it. You hear them talking about you. You're like, excuse me, what did you just say? No, you don't do that. Just stay quiet. You're standing with a group of people and suddenly the um, someone says something out loud. Oh, everybody should know that uh, this guy uh, did this and did that or whatever it is. You keep your mouth closed. What's the reward for it? The Bryce alludes to the Agada cited in Chulin in a different tractate. So we know that the sun and the moon were created alike. The moon was originally as great as the sun, but was reduced in size after complaining that it was not fitting to have two equally great luminaries 
to reign together. So Hashem said, no problem, shrink yourself. The sun, which did not respond to the moon's complaint, remained undiminished. Similarly, one who suffers insult but does not respond will be as the sun that goes forth in all its might. They will emerge undiminished by their silence, whereas their antagonists will not only uh, fail in their schemes, but will be humbled as well. It's an incredibly powerful promise. You want to act like the sun? The sun didn't say a word. Kept quiet. The moon complained. Sun didn't, didn't, nothing. What happened? The sun maintained his greatness. What happened to the moon? It shrunk. So that's the, the, the great, it also says, the Talmud says elsewhere that someone who hears their shame and, or their disgrace and doesn't respond is forgiven of all their sins. Because it's as if you were put to death. Someone who puts to death, death is an atonement. And someone who's embarrassed, it's like you spill their blood. It's an atonement for any, all of their sins. And therefore, our sages tell us that one who hears their disgrace and doesn't respond is now embarrassed and they don't respond to it. They're clean of all their sins. Someone once came to the holy rabbi and uh, he said to the rabbi, what do I do? My, my, my friend, you know, friend, this individual embarrassed me publicly. He hurt me. He started rattling off all of my sins and all of my crimes and everything that I've done. What do I do? So the rabbi asked him, what did you respond? He said, I didn't say anything. The rabbi said, please put your hands above my head and give me a blessing. And he brought him this Talmud. The Talmud says that if someone is embarrassed and doesn't respond, someone is disgraced and doesn't respond, there's nothing holier than that. There's nothing holier than that. The Gemara resumes its discussion about the giving of the Ten Commandments. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, My dechsev, what is the meaning of that which is written? Hashem Nasan Omer Hamevasros Tzava Rav My Lord made a declaration. The heralds are a mighty host. Called Dibur V'dibur Shiyotzim Epiyogvura Every single statement that emanated from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He, Nechlak Leshivim Lashonos was divided into 70 languages. So imagine you had the automatic interpretation, you know, the, the, the Google Translate. You can put it in, you can listen when someone says, Koma Sava in French. It translates to you, how are you? When Hashem spoke and said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem your God, it was translated to 70 lan- languages instantaneously. Commentaries here say that is, it could be heard by each of the 70 nations on its own on its own frequency, in its own language. Savarov, mighty host, is interpreted as referring to all the 70 nations. God did this so that the nations would not be able to claim later, if I would have heard the Torah in my language, we would have accepted it as well. So like this, it was given to everybody in all the languages. They still didn't accept it, except for the Jews. The root of all languages is... In, the, in this world is Hebrew, the holy tongue. Hebrew, not the secular Hebrew language that we have today in Israel, but rather the holy language, the holy tongue. 
called Lashon HaKodesh. Hebrew was spoken exclusively until God confused the tongues of mankind at the Tower of Babel. He then distorted the holy tongue in 70 different ways and 70 derivatives of Hebrew emerged. So every language of the 70 languages of the world are a derivative of the Hebrew language, of the holy tongue. They all have an element of it. These languages were so corrupt that it was impossible to recognize their holy source. At Sinai, God split every Hebrew word he uttered into 70 languages to display the spark of holiness that is at the core of every foreign tongue. I never knew that. Did you know that? I never knew that. Amazing. The Talmud now continues. The Brisa derives this point from a different view. The Brisa of the Academy of Rabbi Yishmoel taught the following. Like a hammer, it, meaning the word of God, breaks a rock. This teaches that just like a hammer causes the rock to shatter and divide into many slivers, so to every single statement that emanated from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He. Nechlak l'shiv moshonos was divided into 70 languages. Amazing. So it was in English, and it was in Spanish, and it was in French, and it was in German, and in Russian, and in all the other languages, Portuguese, and every language, language heard the Ten Commandments. In every language. Every nation heard it. It reverb, reverberated around the entire world. The Gemara now discusses another metaphor used for the Torah. Amar Avchanano ba Papa. Avchanano, the son of Papa, said, What is the meaning of that which is written? Shimu Listen, for I will speak princely things. Why are the words of Torah compared to a prince? To tell you, to teach you. Just as the prince has the power to kill and give life, he can grant life and he can take someone's life away. So too the words of Torah have the power to kill or the power to give life. The Gemara now explains. This reflects the same statement that Rava made. To those who grasp it with their right hand, the Torah is like a drug of life. Those who grasp the Torah with their left hand, it is like a drug of death. What does that mean? The Torah's effect on the soul is comparable to the drug's effect on the body. A drug must be properly used to cure a person from sickness. Otherwise, it can cause his condition to worsen. Similarly, the Torah requires the appropriate usage for its beneficial properties to be effective. This is not contradicted by the principle stated in Psachim, where it says a person should always study Torah even if he has ulterior motives, because through the study of Torah, he will eventually reach the level of studying Torah for its proper sake. That principle applies to one who does not study for malicious reasons. 
For example, if one studies in order to receive honor, that's not appropriate. Here the Gemara discusses that one who studies Torah for his, for its own sake, for the sake of being contentious, and using his knowledge as a weapon against others is also inappropriate. So that's what it means when it's talking about uh, if you use your left for studying Torah. One should always be using their right, meaning for the right purpose. If you use it for your own power, for your own strength, for your own motives, for your own uh, malicious intent, then it's not good. Those who endeavor with all their might to uncover the Torah's secrets are compared to someone who uses his right hand. Why? He uses his stronger hand to perform a task. Alternatively, the Gemara refers to those who study the Torah for its own sake as, as the one who's using the right one. We say, every morning we say a blessing that we should learn Torah lishma, altruistic purposes. right? We should learn Torah lishma. Lishma means not for any return. I'm not doing it to get honor. I'm not doing it to become famous. I'm not doing it so that I can overpower other people. I'm doing it for the only purpose of, for its own sake, correct. So, now the Talmud continues. The Gemara presents another explanation as to why the words of Torah compare to princes. Davar Acher, another explanation, Negidim, Scripture uses the metaphor of princes because, Every single statement that emanated from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He, Koshim lo he had two crowns tied to it. The Gemara presents a series of teachings by Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi about Israel's experience at Sinai. Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, "My dechsev, what is the meaning of that which is written Tzor Hamor Dodi Li Bein Shadai Yolin? A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me, lodged between my bosom." The congregation of Israel, the people of Israel, said before the Holy One, Blessed is He, Ribonu Shalom, Master of the Universe, Af Alpi, even though my beloved, referring to God, has distressed and embittered me, He's nevertheless lodged between my bosom. God immediately commanded the people to build the Mishkan. The Shekhinah resided in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, between the two poles of the ark, which pressed into the curtain, giving the impression from without of two bosom-like protrusions. Right? We were consumed. The Shekhinah was consumed. The Gemara now continues. Rabbi Shua ben Levi interprets the next verse of Song of Songs. This is all from King Solomon. In Song of Songs, Eshkol Hakofer Dodi Li Bekarme Engedi. A cluster of henna is my beloved to me. In the vineyards of Engedi, this verse conveys the following. He to whom all belongs makes atonement for me. Al Avon Gedi Shekaramti Li for the sin of the kid, the golden calf that I heaped up for myself. In the previous exposition, the word karmi, karmi means a vineyard, is homiletically taken to mean heaping up. The Gemara corroborates this interpretation. You can't just change the meaning of the word. You can't just say, 
So, but you have to have a source for it. My mashma the high karmi lishna lemichnish lemichnish who? What indicates that the word karme signifies heaping up? Omar marzuto bereid Rabbi Yochanan. Marzuto said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Kidetnan, as we have learned in the Mishnah, kisei shel koves shekormim olaves akelim, a launderer's chair in which one heaps up clothing. So we see that this word of kerem can be used also for a vineyard, and it can also be used for heaping up. And here we're saying that the Jewish people heaped up this idolatry of the golden calf. Another teaching by Rabbi Shovan Levi, Rabbi Shovan Levi, what is the meaning of that which was written Lechayav Karugas Habosem? His cheeks were like the bed of spices. Every single statement that emanated from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He. The whole world became filled with the fragrance of spices. Now, since the world became filled with fragrance, from the first statement, where did the fragrance of the second statement go? That the world already was fragrant from the first of the statements of the Ten Commandments. The Holy One, blessed is He, took the wind out of His storehouse. And he drove away each fragrance in turn. So the first fragrance came blown away, the second fragrance came blown away, the third, etc., etc. Shenemar, as it states in the verse, Sifsosaf Shoshanim Notfos Mor Orver. His lips are flowers, they drip flowing myrrh. Al Tikri Shoshanim Shoshonim. Don't read it as Shoshanim as flowers or roses, but rather Sheshonim that they repeat. They were different ones. They were new. There was a new one coming. The verse is thus interpreted, interpreted allegorically to mean that his lips means his wind repeatedly caused the fragrance of spices such as myrrh to flow away. So there was an incredible fragrance. It smelled delicious when the Torah was given. It was an, an unbelievable experience that the Jewish people had when they were standing at Mount Sinai. Another teaching of Rabbi Shuram Levi describing the effect of the Ten Commandments. I'm Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Shuram ben Levi said, Every single statement that emanated from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed is He. The Jewish people retreated 12 mils. This was the length of the camp. Those closest to the sound were so awestruck that they retreated to the far end of the camp. It was just like it was chaos. Chaos. You hear? I mean, we have to understand. It's like we talk about the revelation of Mount Sinai like it was just something that happened 3,300 years ago. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to get a, a feel, a connection to this great, great revelation. In a way that the Talmud, the way the Talmud describes it is just unfathomable. It's incomprehensible. Such a great revelation to the people. It wasn't just like, okay, God told us we should keep his Torah and that was it. No, no, no. The whole world was witness to it. 
They all heard it in all their languages. Not only that, there was a fragrance that filled the entire world with each of the Ten Commandments. So the guy in Moscow and the guy in Sao Paulo all heard it, smelled the fragrance. They all felt the, the, the awe that descended upon the world. Really a, a remarkable experience. But the Jewish people standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, the, the, the shock, the awe that they experienced there, they were blown away 12 meal. And the ministering angels helped them totter back. Talmud also relates that the Jewish people died. We're going to see this soon. The Jewish people died. They had this revelation. It was such an infusion of energy, such an infusion of godliness, of spirituality, they couldn't take it. And they died. They needed to be revived by the Almighty. Shinemra, as the verse states, Malachi Tzvokos Yedodun Yedodun. The angels of legions totter, they totter. Al Tikri Yedodun Eli Yedadun. Do not read it as Yedodun with the, ver, with the, with the vowels like that, that they totter, but rather read it as Yedadun as they helped others to totter. They helped the Jewish people get back to Mount Sinai. Another teaching of Rabbi Shua ben Levi regarding the giving of the Torah. Rabbi Shua ben Levi, Rabbi Shua ben Levi said, When Moses ascends to the heavenly heights, Moshe went up the mountain. He goes up to the heavens. And he goes all the way up the firmaments, each, each one of the seven firmaments. And the angels say to God, they say, Rabboni uh, Shalala, master of the universe. What is someone born of a woman doing among us? He's a human. What is a humanoid doing here in our in our presence? Amar lehem Hashem said to them, Lekabel Torah ba. He came to accept the Torah. Amru lefanov. They said before him, Chamuda gnuza, the coveted and treasured Torah. Shegnuza loch tichame ois. That this coveted and treasured Torah that has been stored by you as a treasure for 974 generations before the world was created. 974 generations. How many years is that? 25 years is a generation, right? So if we do the math of 900 and 74 times 25 is 24,000 years. If we count, every generation is 25 years. Rabbi Yaakov, my brother, has an incredible presentation. I think it's on a podcast as well, where he puts together how many, how long this takes, all these generations, the 974 generations. And how that equals to what scientists today believe is the age of the universe. You can find it on all your podcast platforms. So this treasure Torah that's been stored for 974 generations, you're planning to give it to this 
human being to a boss of Adam to someone of flesh and blood? Ma enosh kitiskereno uven Adam kisif kedeno. What is a mortal that you should remember him or the son of man that you shall recall him? Hashem, our Lord, how grand is your name in all the earth, that you should rather bestow your glory upon the heavens. Don't give it to the people. Don't give it to humans, to the people, those of flesh and blood. Leave it here up in the heavens. Leave it for us, for the angels. In other words, our sages explained, your name is sufficiently grand down on earth. It is not becoming for you to further bestow your glory there. Bestow it rather upon your heavens. The angels remonstrated. They protested. The Torah precedes the world by 2,000 years and is thus beyond the strictures of the material world. Man, on the other hand, was formed from the earth and is completely governed by the laws of nature. How can such a celestial treasure be cast before mortal flesh? Right? How can we have, we, flesh and blood, us here, sitting here in the Torch Center, learning online, over podcast and video, I mean, how can we receive something which is so godly and so unbelievable, something so incredible? Angels have no concept of free will. Thus, they are critical even of a person who chooses to do good and observe the Torah. They wonder, how could that person have struggled? How could he have entertained the notion, even for a split second, that the false is true? In the angel's eye, the very act of weighing between one's desires and God's will is a desecration. For their, from their perspective, man's existence itself is indefensible. How is it possible then to give the Torah to them, the greatness of which surpasses all the worlds? The Talmud now continues. He says, Hashem says to Moshe, Respond to them. Reply to them. Give them an answer. Amr Lefanov, Moshe says before Hashem, Ribboner Shalola, Master of the Universe, I fear to reply to them lest they burn me with the breath of their mouths. Amr Lo, Hashem said to them, Hold on to my throne, throne of my glory and then give them an answer. The scriptural source says, Shenemar, ma'achaz p'nei kisei parshaz olov anano. He allows him to grasp the face of the throne. He spreads upon him his cloud. Ve'amar avnachum, avnachum says, melamed sheperesh shadei miziv shechinoso ve'anano olov. This verse teaches that the Almighty spread some of his radiance of the presence and his cloud upon Moses. He gave him a, like a protective uh, glaze, so to speak. And now we continue. So what did Moshe say? Amr Lefanov, commencing his argument, Moshe says before Hashem, Ribbonah Shalala, master of the universe, Torah Sha'ata Nosinli, the Torah that you are giving me, Maksivba, what is written in it? Anochi Hashem Meretz I am Hashem your God. Who has taken you out of the land of Egypt? Amr Lahem Moshe turns to the angels. 
And he says, Limitzrayim Yadatem, did you descend to Egypt? Were you enslaved to Pharaoh? Torah Lama Tehelachem. Why should the Torah be yours? Moshe asks. Shuv Maksivba. What else is written in the Torah? There shall not be unto you gods of others. Bain Amim Atem Shrim Mishabadim. Shrim Sheovdim Avodas Glulim. Do you live among nations who worship idols? Shuv Maksivba. What else is written in the Torah? Remember the Shabbos day to sanctify it. Do you engage in any form of labor from which you need to rest on Shabbos? Shuv What else does it say in the Torah? Lo sisa. You shall not take God's name in vain. Maso matan yesh do you have any business transactions that you do that might lead you from saying God's name in vain, from being dishonest? Shuv What else is written in the Torah? Honor your father and mother. Shuv What else is written in it? Lo sirtzach, lo sinaf, lo signov. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You guys get jealous? You guys have envy? Do you have any evil inclination? Immediately the angels conceded to the Holy One, Blessed is Hishanemar, as it states, Hashem Adonenu Mahadir Shimcha. Hashem, our Master, how grand is your name in all of the earth. It doesn't say bestow your glory upon the heavens. Immediately, Every one of the angels became a friend of Moses. And gave him something. They each gave him something. You ascended to the heights. You captured a captive. You took gifts because of man. That is to say, in reward for being insulted by the angels and being called a man, you took gifts. Even the angel of death gave Moshe something. When it says Moses said to Aaron, take the fire pan and put on it fire from upon the altar and place incense. He, Aaron, placed the incense and atoned for the people. The Omer, and it says, I believe immediately following that, and it stood, he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was checked. Now, if the angel of death had not told Moses this secret, how would he have known exactly how this should be done? To guide Aaron and to save the people and to end this plague. So, it's really a, you think for a second, we're living in a world today that is so gifted. We're so gifted with the privilege and the opportunity to learn the Torah and to observe the Torah. We are the luckiest people on earth. 
I want to share with you an amazing story. Yesterday there was an event in one of the restaurants here that featured one of the prominent winemakers from Israel, from Shiloh Winery. And he was talking about the wines and he was talking about, you know, doing a whole spiel, a whole act on each one of the wines that were being offered. And one of their bottles is called the Privilege. Now, it's an interesting name to give a wine. We call it the Privilege. And he explained why they gave it that name. He said many people had a difficult time accepting the mitzvah of the sabbatical year, the Shemitah year. And he said that they lose a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of money that seventh year. But he said, we consider it a privilege to be fulfilling Hashem's commandment. And that's why they named their wine the privilege. Because they're proud, honored to be those who merit to observe God's commandment of the tithe, where you don't work the land, you don't do anything to the fields in the seventh year. So we said to him, you know, there's a promise, there's a promise that those who observe the seventh year will be blessed with an enormous crop in the sixth year that will cover for the sixth year, for the seventh year, and for the eighth year, because you haven't gotten things back, back in action yet. He said, if 20 grapes filled up a cup of wine, he said 20 grapes in the sixth year fills up three cups of wine. He says, we have no idea how this works. We have no idea how this works. He says the same amount of grapes that produces, you know, 20 barrels, 50 barrels, 100 barrels. In the sixth year, it produces triple the amount, the same amount of grapes. He says, we can't figure out why. But he considered, and I thought it was the most beautiful thing I gave him, when I stood up and I gave him a kiss. I said, here, I meet someone who considers it a privilege to serve Hashem. A privilege to what we call lose money. It's a privilege to serve Hashem in the way He asked us to serve Him. Out of love. Not out of fear. Now, I'm not getting a reward. Out of love. I thought it's the most beautiful thing. I want to go to the store and just buy the privileged wine. I thought it was such a special uh, sentiment that he was able to share with us. I was overjoyed to hear it. I said, I want to share this in the class. To feel the privilege. There are so many generations where Jews had it very, very difficult. And they were resorted to saying the tragic words of, oh, so difficult to be a Jew. So difficult to be a Jew. So schwer zu sein a Yid. It's geschmack to be a Yid. It's awesome to be a Yid. It's delightful to be a Yid. To be a Jew. To be the recipient of the Torah. 
It's the most remarkable gift we have. So the Talmud here ends this piece where Moshe was able to persuade the angels that we were the right recipients of that Torah. You know why? Because we have a Yetzirah. We have an evil inclination. We have father and mother who bring us to this world to honor and the challenge of honoring them. If it wasn't a challenge, it wouldn't be a commandment. If it was a natural thing for someone to always honor their parents, even when it's difficult, even when they are annoying, even when they're in the old age home, to always have the proper respect and honor for the parents, it wouldn't be a commandment. Torah gives us a commandment so we understand the proper way for a civil society to operate. You honor your parents. You honor your elders. They get it from us. When you walk onto a bus or onto a train, it says if someone, an elderly person, right? They have this, by the way, in the buses in Israel, they have a sticker. You wake up, you stand up before the elderly. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You see an older person, you stand up, you just fulfill the mitzvah. Give them your seat, give them the seat. Torah gives us the way to conduct life. And we're privileged to have the Torah. Oh, I have to give a tithe of what I earn. Oh, you know, no. It's a privilege to give a tithe. Moshe was able to explain to the angels, you guys don't have those challenges. You guys don't get jealous. You guys don't have rivalry. Therefore, the Torah doesn't apply to you. But to us, mortal man, to us, weak mankind, to us, the Torah was given. And that's the great privilege. Hashem should bless us that we should always feel the privilege. We should always be excited by the privilege of being Hashem's chosen people. We were chosen. We were chosen. No other nation was chosen. We should feel that joy, that love that Hashem has for us and reciprocate it every day of our lives, ourselves and our families should all feel that joy and that love. Amen.